You're listening to One Good Take, the podcast that delves into the nitty-gritty of film development and distribution and explores the often elusive chemistry that brings the film to life. I have with me on the show today an actor, writer, producer whose talent for developing commercially viable projects and pitching them with gusto makes him a go-to guy for filmmakers looking for ideas and inspiration for getting their film projects done. The roster of films he's produced over the years includes Lansky, starring Harvey Keitel, Sam Worthington and Minka Kelly, Love and Dancing, directed by Rob Iscove, The Alphabet Killer, a psychological thriller directed by Rob Schmidt, and The Attic, a thriller directed by Mary Lambert, starring John Savage and Elizabeth Moss. His own company, Trick Candle Productions, is known for its quality independent films that span a variety of genres. Titles include Trauma Therapy, a thriller, Screamers, a found footage horror, Hero of the Underworld and Fair Haven. Not content to stop with production, he also co-founded a sales and distribution company, Glasshouse Distribution. So who is this polymath of talents? Please welcome, in a virtual sort of way, Tom Malloy. Tom and I got together toward the end of 2020. Here's that take. Hey, Tom, how's it going? Great, Nicholas. How you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, sure. So um, where do we start? I, I think we probably start with that horrible thing called um, COVID-19 and, and, and in the context of filmmaking last year and into this year. How are you getting around this? Because you're, you're an expert in raising finance and uh, producing and so on. Uh, and of course, in normal times, that's one thing. But with the current state of affairs, that's quite another, isn't it? What do you see as the at least in the next 12 months, the ways forward for people trying to raise money, equity, that is, uh, for independent films? Well, you know, there was definitely that pause button that was hit on production. You know, we had just, um, as you know, I also own a, a sales and distribution company, and we had just gotten back from the Berlin film uh, market, the EFM, in February of 2020. And that was right when everything started going down, you know, like in March. And there was that big, wait, what's going on? So everybody paused, you know, no one was buying anything and people weren't producing anything. Mm -hmm. So there's that pause button. But then, you know, the, the best part about the sales and distribution was last year it was great <laughs> because everybody was sitting at home watching. Yeah, yeah. So, so that leads on the production side to look and say um, it, it, that there, there's a supply and demand thing. Like there's this whole uh, this this hole that was created of last year of a lack of productions that needs to be filled. You know, it, it has to be there. There has to be movies. People want to watch movies, and there there has to be more content. So, basically, what I did it production wise is really pushed everything. Just delayed, you know. And there was projects where we we had some stuff going, we were developing, and we kind of told everybody we're we're pushing the pause button on this and picking it up next year. And, uh, and that's what we're doing. Like that we have, I have slated a film to start shooting in April, but even that we might push a little bit, but with the hope that by April, uh, the vaccine has started to spread, you know, and then more and more people are getting immune to it and things like that. So that was the goal. And then maybe that pushes to May or so, or, or maybe even potentially June, but the key yeah. was that you kind of had to look at it as instead of uh, look, and, and I give a lot of credit to those people that have 
that they found ways around it and shot movies with people with masks on and stuff like that. But to yeah, me, yeah. it's like, why not wait? You know, thankfully I had the sales and distribution that was going very strongly. And so it was like, why not wait on the production? Because you don't want to have to really kind of cripple your film in a way. Yeah. And there's always the risk that you're going to have another spike and that, you know, you sort of have to reschedule all over again. Yeah. Or the film shuts down, you know, like somebody yeah, yeah. positive and then you're like, oh my God, I'm right in the middle of shooting and it shuts down. And that's the issue. Yeah, exactly. So those are the sort of production is- issues. And, uh, you know, going forward because of the uncertainty, are people you're talking to nonetheless, almost like the stock market, you know, being optimistic about the future and looking six months ahead and saying, hey, well, you know, now's the time to put things into place, almost as if things are normal. Are you, are you, what is the mood, I suppose, is what I'm trying to get at, um, when, of the people you're talking to? I think the mood is still a little hes- hesitation, you know, because there's things like a COVID compliance officer that we never had to deal with on movies in the past, you know what I mean? So there's, it's a little bit hesitant, but at the same time, there is definitely that feeling of it's got to come back and it's got to come back strong, you know, because, again, there was that lack of movies and lack of content that people really want, you know, they want the movies, they want to be watching stuff so that then and, and good content. So it's going to rebound. I think everybody has felt that. I mean, the the only thing that I will say is that there's been somewhat of a shift movie theater wise, you know, that uh, because of the premium TVOD, you know, the transactional VOD, that yeah. really wasn't a thing especially day and date releases, you know, and things like the Wonder Woman 1984, that would have never even been considered pre-COVID, you know, and so now it's a thing. And so uh, there'll be a change, but there'll also be a rebound. I mean, it'll come back. Will it come back exactly the same? No, but it definitely will come back. As I see it, the landscape's changing, was even changing quite rapidly before COVID with, you know, more and more writing going into streaming, TV, series, and so on. Uh, Do you think you know in the interim things will have made a permanent shift so that even though there is a certain amount of rebound because there's a kind of vacuum as it were um the model is changing and therefore the appeal of the independent film it has has permanently dropped do do you think that might happen and and that people want the series you know it's like oh you've got a feature film well okay well can you turn that into eight episodes and then we'll have a look well i mean (laughs) i think that there's always an appetite for good films and edgy films and stuff that's different. You know what I mean? Like that, that this comes out and every once in a while, a slumdog millionaire pops up or, um, or whiplash, you know, one of those movies that just like knocks you out and it's completely independent type film. So I think that that's always there. Yeah. There's definitely a push more for limited series, you know? Yes. Can we turn this into a limited series? And that's hot right now. So, you know, it, it's uh, that that's a tough 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 call to make i you know and again everybody there's always people looking for edgy independent films films that that really get you and um and good movies i mean like like pre-covid so say i'm alone on a weekend or something like that and i just want to take it easy i would go and look on itunes which is now apple tv and look and see which were the new movies that came out and go, oh, okay, this one, all right, this is available to rent. Let me check this out. It, for such a long time in the, you know, 
August, September months, October months, it was like you, I would do that and look and it was like, oh my God, there's nothing. There's literally nothing I want to see versus yeah. in the past I would look and go, oh yeah, I missed that when it was in theaters. I'm, I'm dying to see that. Or, you know, and, and the key was there is that the movies that you wanted to watch there were not the big event movies like the Avengers because that still had such a great theatrical, you know, feel to it. Um, yeah. you know, movies that were, you, you may not have even gone to the theaters to see, but you really want to see it, you know, a great looking horror movie or something like that. And so again, I still think that there's space for those movies that, that it'll, there'll always be an appetite. Yeah. Do you think the budgets have been crushed down in, in the interim? Are oh, people now saying, you know, instead of five, we'll give you 4 million or is there that kind of attitude? I mean, yeah, I think that was going on pre COVID. Um, for a long time because people were paying less. In fact, even last year on the, you know, distribution and we, we found some people were paying more than we expected because there was that lack of content. But so meaning prior to that, it was already going down as far as the international revenues and the U S revenues, because, you know, you used to be able to get those DVD sales and they'd be, you know, that was a large part of your revenue. And now it's like you have to release the film on 20 VOD platforms and they each give you little bumps and stuff like that, you know? So it's, um, it had been going down for a while. And then that just dictates, goes back to the budgets that the budgets, you have to be able to get 10 X production value. You know what I mean? If you make a $1 million movie that better have $10 million worth of value, but you make a hundred thousand dollar movie that might, must have, you know, a million dollars worth of value. And you gotta, gotta like that. And so it's always that dance, you know, it's like, this movie that we're making in April, a little bit less than 500,000. It's like, we're going to try to be getting actors in there that we would have 10 years ago, we would have had one of those actors if we were lucky, you know, now we're trying to get like four in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. Uh, and, and so it's always that dance of trying to get the most production value for the least amount of money. And that's the only way. Yeah. Are you finding uh, talent agencies, agencies and managers receptive to, that change in, in other words you know that they will be willing to put forward their clients for much less than say three or four years ago in order to be in a good quality independent film i think some of them some of them and then so it's based somewhat on the actor and then it's based somewhat on the agent manager but i've seen agents and managers kill people's careers kill their careers i remember i can think of one actress that had a little pop going from a movie and I remember she was on everybody's list and this is going back like 10, 15 years ago. Everybody, like every cast director list, she was right at the top as far as the one hot up and comers. And, uh, but her manager literally priced her out of the business, you know, was asking for these big amounts for, for her to be in a movie. And I watched her go to nothing and now she'll do your independent film for $5. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because she d d doesn't have a career anymore. And so you really, that's really where the agent manager has to be cognizant of that, you know, that there is such a change. So you also have the actors that will only do studio stuff and, and maybe that'll work for them or maybe it won't. But I have found that the best actors, um, if the script is great and I'm talking about really great and they're excited about a project, they'll do it for anything. It's, it's really not a monetary thing. They, yeah. they do it to work. So those are the best ones, you know, again, not everybody's like that. And some of them may never learn their lesson and may end up on dancing with the stars 10 years from now, you know, but, uh, it's, it's, that's just with the way you have to play it. Yeah. Talking of scripts and great scripts. I mean, let's look at a typical journey for a producer, director team. They have a great script or at least 
they think so and other people are saying so consultants have given their you know 10 p's worth or whatever to say you know change this that and the other it's now of a certain quality uh maybe even one or two actors have read it and said they're interested what what is the next step because the usual thing is well we'll give you the money i'm talking about investors if you have xyz in place i.e cast you know certain cast attached the problem being it's very difficult to get those cast attached unless you can convince the agent or the actors that you have at least some equity in place so you're kind of it's that catch-22 thing how what is your advice for filmmakers when they're starting out on that journey they've got this strong script good feedback on it they've got a little bit of a track record perhaps in you know commercials content it could be anything documentaries short films now that they're ready for the next step up how do they do that what are some of the steps perhaps you could walk us through some of those steps that they should be taking this is a question i get all the time um, because it is a catch-22 in, in many ways. And it is, a, I, I like to think of it as like a dance almost, you know, that you have to really play in the best way possible. But you mentioned a, um, a phrase that I, I agree with is track record is, is a big thing. So that's one of the first things. But let me back up and say this. You can kind of, if if you kind of prep everything and you're you're getting, you're pushing everything forward, you can kind of get to the point where, you're reaching out to casting if in casting and you're reaching out to agents and managers and you're saying they they ask you well are you fully funded and you say well we're we're fully funded based on cast you know and you can you can legitimately say that if you've kind of primed the investors so like everything's moving forward slightly and you kind of got to get it to the, right at the edge of everything and then you go to the next step but one of the ways around around that is exactly what you said track record but what i mean on there is a little bit more of partnering with somebody who has a track record. Like if you're a brand new producer, you bring on producers that have done 10 films, you know, 20 films. And it could be, you could bring one other producer, you know, or you could bring a director. Like I've done both ways. I remember when I started out, I had a movie called the attic that ended up, I get, I got Elizabeth Moss in there and it was the director of pet cemetery and Alexander Daddario, and, and and the movie didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, but it, it, bottom line, it was the first movie I got going with cast and everything. And I was a brand new producer, so I hired on two producing partners. They were a team that had done 20-plus movies, you know, and now they're up to 30-plus movies or whatever, you know. So, um, so right away, I had that cloud of saying, well, look, we successfully produced all these because now we're a we, we're a team. And another movie down the the road where I was kind of more uh, the the main person or at least the most experienced producer um, in that regard, it was just like, well, let's get a director that has a name. And that's exactly what we did. We got a director that had a name. So it was like, that was another seal of approval on the movie, you know, so that when you reach out to cash, you're like, oh, it's this, that movie was called Love and Dancing. And we had Rob Isco, who's, it's, movie she's all that had kind of started the teen movie you know trend back in the 90s and it made 150 million dollars so it was like here's rob iscove attached as director so that was another thing so partnering is the, the key word there is getting the right partners involved partnering could be the producer producers the director you know if you're the director getting uh, getting an, an early cast person involved you know like don Cheadle did for crash you know, he was the first person to attach to Crash. They gave him a producer credit, and then he started attaching other actors. He started helping other actors. So partnering is the key. Yeah, yeah. So did you find this other director 
or the first director on this film uh, through uh, your network of the extra two producers? Well, no. I, that no. one, when I got Rob Isco, well, if you're talking about the director of Pet Cemetery, Mary Lambert, that was, that was, there, there were both different situations, but I will say that it, it's, you know, now I have a much bigger network. Back then it was like, <laughs> look, it was, I'll tell you exactly the story on him. It was a dance film, romantic comedy. And so I had an assistant at the time put together a list of dance films, romantic comedies and directors who had done them, those types of movies and to give yeah. me a list of 30 people. And I just started searching on IMDb Pro, which used to be a lot better, kind of pre-Amazon purchase. And mm. I looked in the DGA directory, the Directors Guild, and just got contact information for their managers and agents, um, manager being the easier route. Um, and some of them even had on the DGA their direct emails because their directors are not as sheltered as actors are. You know what I mean? Yeah, They're, yeah. You know? And so... I just started emailing it. And so I got tons of responses. I mean, not tons, but at least 10, you know? And so I started going down that path with those people. And Rob, I believe it was his manager, was a really great guy and just started talking with him. And that's, again, you have to have that script be because it was. And then once I got the script to the manager, the manager gave it to Rob and Rob was interested. And then we started a conversation from there. So that was just a hunt, you know? So I, I would say to any beginning filmmaker, it's not impossible at all if, if the director route is the way to go. Now that obviously excludes the people that want to direct their own film, but you know, for the people that are open to getting a director, I think that's a very powerful route to go as far as getting your movie. Well, reading between the lines, I'm, I'm sort of getting this idea that really certainly starting, starting out, you should perhaps be Put, put your directing ambitions to one side or your other hats, you know, on the shelf for now and actually just think about bringing in names with a reputation who can also then get your project in front of investors and cast. Is it, yeah? I've always done this now almost 20 years and, you know, I've raised 25 million plus for movies. And the one thing that took me a long time to understand was that the best way to get a movie going is to three words, improve the project and meaning add value to it. Like just keep adding value. So yes, if you're a brand new filmmaker, you're not really value yet. You know, you may be raw talent and that's great, but you have to be adding other types of value. And so, yeah, it could be, all right, this one I won't direct. And then I'll, you know, so I'll get somebody that's namey to direct it this time so I can get it going. Or this one, I won't be the sole producer. I wanted to be the sole producer, but let me be one of three producers on this so that, you know, I'll have to split my salary, but I'm going to get the movie made. And then, you know, by the second or third movie, now you're the, the lead producer on it. You're the single producer. So whatever it is, I think that that's the best way to do it is just keep adding value to the movie. And to the point where you're just, it gets to the, it gets to a point where it's just an irresistible investment at that point. It's always a process of getting somebody excited about a, a project, you know, you, and, I, and I'm really good at pitching and getting a person excited about something, but you know, what it, the, the issue that you come up against is it's like, if you told me, Tom, I'd love you to invest in my restaurant, you know, I'm, I'm making a restaurant. I said, Oh, wow. Have you ever made a restaurant before? You're like, no, I've never, this is my first one. You know, it's like, so that's, that's a hurdle, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, yeah. I look at that and go, well, he's never actually opened a restaurant. So I don't, I know what he's going to do. But at the same time, if you're pitching me, wow, it's going to have this and that and you're so passionate and excited about it. And you kind of geek out for the restaurant. 
that goes a long way, you know? So I always tell people, you got to geek out for your own movie projects, you know, and be, I, I mean, I used to teach classes on pitching and, um, it, it was like, you would hear some of these people pitch their movies and they were just so droll and like, oh God, like you're not even, you're not even excited about the movie. Like what the hell? And so that was an issue. You know, you have to be super excited about your own film and that's the way to pitch it. And so, yeah, you can get somebody you know, you're selling yourself and you're selling your ideas and you can get somebody very excited about that early on with your kind of aspirations. But, you know, that that's, I'd say, the first step is to be really excited about your movie. Yeah, for sure. And are, are you reaching new investors through people you've already worked with who have a, kind of like an intermediary as an introduction? Are you, you Or do you ever go on social networks and get chatting and then somehow set up a start a, a relationship? that builds a bit of trust. And then six months, months down the line, you say, well, Hey, by the way, I've got this project. Would you like to take a look at the business plan, et cetera? Well, I'm always keeping my eyes open. Let's put it that way. But you know, it's one of the methods that I teach is, is to, to reach out to your network and ask them if they know anybody. And I don't, I don't mean just your, your network of film people. I mean, everybody, everybody, you know, like meaning say I'm at a bar, you know, which right now <laughs> because of COVID, <laughs> yeah. not a thing, but you know, when I was at a bar, um, and somebody tells me about this, he's working for this company and, oh, the guy just opened a new facility and this guy's doing great. I would say to that person just verbally, Hey, listen, if you ever want to make an introduction, maybe this guy wants to invest in a movie. I got this horror movie that I'm shooting. It's a couple hundred thousand. This wouldn't be that much for that guy. You know, make the introduction if you're interested. And what I'll do is I'll give you an associate producer credit and I'll give you a fee for, you know, being an associate producer on the movie. And so I'll do that. So really what I've given to that person is a complete value. All he has to do or she has to do is make the introduction and they get an associate producer credit on a movie and they're going to get paid for being that associate producer on the movie. That's it. And so I'll throw that out there. I use that as the kind of finder's fee approach. And I, I'll throw that out there to anybody, anybody that's talking. I mean, even if we're, if I'm just talking at a bar and we're just, he's talking about this and that, I'll just say, hey, listen, if I'm just going to put it out there, I'm trying to raise money for this, whatever movie that I'm doing, if you know anybody. So it does never hurts to reach out because I'm not asking them. If I said that to you, I'm not going, Nicholas, can I borrow some money? That's why in some ways I'm against the Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaigns. I've just kind of really never been a fan because most of the time it's people just reaching out to their friends and family. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. well, your friends and family wish you well, you don't want to tax them. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. in this situation, I, if I was reaching out to my friends and family with what I just said, offering them the value and everything, I'm giving them something for basically nothing, you know, from making an introduction. That is much more powerful than can I have a hundred dollars towards my Kickstarter campaign? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you're not really a fan of uh, Kickstarter at all. You've not used it or, you, or you've used it and found it just to, uh, I mean, once uh, intrusive. <laughs> yeah, once or twice for very small things and, and felt icky about it. Like, I'm just, yeah, I'm just not a fan of it. I'm, I'm not a fan of, you know, the whole, like, let's put it this way. If I was to raise, say, 50000 on Kickstarter, which I don't know, you can't do a movie for 50000 so that would only be a piece of a movie. If I was yeah. to do that, I think the effort that I would have to put in to get that 50000 from non-close family members and people outside of my network um, would be, probably the same if not more effort than i would have to put to get one guy to put fifty thousand dollars in you see what i'm saying so that that effort that i put to get the fifty thousand on kickstarter would be probably more difficult 
um, or double as difficult as just trying to close one person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having done some <laughs> crowdfunding myself, uh, only for short projects, but still, I think I probably <laughs> agree with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty tough game, even for a short. Yeah. yeah. What point do you approach potential investors? I mean, we sort of were talking earlier about a script and a great script. I mean, at what point do you think, yeah, this is good? I mean, are you talking to script consultants? Is it is it because you have great feedback from the director? When do you say, hey, right, we're, we're on pretty much the final draft bar, a few tweaks because of different locations, et cetera. Um, and that's it. It's kind of locked off. We're sending it out. What, what, what gives you that feeling, right, we're ready? Well, I mean, you know, I, for me, I'm at the point where I've got I've written 30 plus screenplays and I've, I'm in the Writers Guild and I've, I've option sold or made the movies 24 of those screenplays and it's soon to be 25. Um, so I, I, I can kind of tell, all right, this is ready. But I also have a close circle of readers that I'll send it to that will do favors for each other. You know, like I trust yeah. them, they trust me. But for somebody that's newer, I think the key is coverage, getting a coverage report you can find them. There's places online that do coverage reports or funny enough, Craigslist in Los Angeles. It's the only Craigslist that'll have coverage. People that'll do coverage. For yeah. You just put an ad and say you want coverage. So it's like a report on your screenplay. And if you can get two or three of those that say, recommend the screenplay, like say it's a good screenplay, then you're, that, then you most likely have something that really works because that's, you know, that coverage report is exactly what an agent's going to do. Um, or an agency, let's put it that way, like an ICM or a WME, they have the people writing coverage right away. They, the screenplay goes to them, they do the coverage on that screenplay, and they get it back. And so if it can't pass a coverage report before, then it's not going to pass in the agency. So it's never going to have penetration into that agency. So why not get them early on? Into the, and you, you get the coverage report, and if it's negative, you kind of fix those changes, do it again, and just keep getting to the point where, okay, now they're saying that every all it checks all the boxes. Now it's a point to go out. And I'm only saying that for the people that don't have access to quality readers. And I really mean quality readers it has to be specific. It can't be mom, dad, uncle, you know, cousin. Yeah. Like yeah. The legit feedback where it's like, all right, here's the issues, here's the problems that you got to fix, you know, and you don't seek out cheerleading, like, wow, Nichols is really good, you know, like that's not going to help. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. No, yeah. Cool. yeah. And so, besides scripts and obvious things like the budget, what other kinds of deliverables might you put together for um, a pitch? Well, like sizzle know, reels or business packs? Business what, what's plan, sure. You know, it's like I have. Um, by business plan it's it's one of the most popular ones it's called movie plan pro and a lot of people go to that and and it's the same business plan i use it's at movieplanpro.com and so that's the one that i've been using for 20 years and so i put it out there and it's selling um you know so that's a, a major piece of the arsenal is having that business plan now sizzle reel i'm always and have always been on the fence with it because um you know you need it for tv that's no question for a TV series, unscripted or not, you need a sizzle reel. But for movies, I have seen it hurt more times than it helped. Meaning, if I'm going to shoot um, a sizzle reel for a romantic comedy and I don't have that name cast yet, so I'm using one, so I'm not using the 
level of actors as far as names go. And two, I don't have a budget much for it. So I, so I'm, it's going to not look as good and it's going to not have the names, you know what I mean? Like, so that to me is a mistake unless somehow you can get access to big equipment and some financing for it. Um, and then that's the risk, you know, that you might lose all that money. Um, and if you can get access to some names, maybe to be in it. Okay. So maybe that could happen, but I've rarely seen that happen. I've seen it where they go, Oh yeah. Hey, listen, we shot a little sizzle, a trailer. And then you look at it and you go, Ugh, you know, so like I said, it's never going to be as good as the funded movie, you know, because you don't have the funding behind it to bring the people along. And I remember one time I was really interested in producing a movie and the guy shot, um, three minute sizzle kind of trailer. And I went, there's no way I'm going to let this guy direct this movie. <laughs> Literally, as soon as I saw the trailer, I'm like, this is shit. Oh, wow. And, that, yeah. you know, this, he proved to me that he couldn't do it. So I would stay away from the sizzle. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And, but maybe a short a film little... would be a help. You know, if you have a short film that ultimately is going to be the feature film, that could help if the short film is an award-winning short or something like that. That The opposite has happened on there where a guy, I was psyched to hire as a director because his short film was so damn good. I was like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. So the short film could help. That's different than the sizzle reel. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, good short film can yeah. can also work on it. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, even even more so if the, if the short is, is uh, you know, the precursor to the feature film. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. just a slice from the, it carries the concept, doesn't it? And the look and the, the mood and the uh, themes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And do you put together also something like a lookbook? Well, I haven't specifically for closing investors, you know, because they're not on the artsy side as much, you know, unless they really were, unless I felt the investor was like, oh, this guy really wants to look at pictures and see art and stuff like that. Um, that's yeah. not a thing from that I would do. That's more for well, I don't know. I've never known quite what a book is for in the pitch phase. You know, I get it for an art director, you know, or director. I get that for when you're actually making the film. But, a, you know, a lookbook prior to that, eh, I wouldn't, I, I don't think that it helps as much. You know, I think that the business plan has to be concise, has to stick to the potential numbers. You know, there are the numbers that you want to raise and the potential numbers that it could bring back and give the bios of everybody, give a quick synopsis of what the movie is. You know, I would say in my, all the investors I've closed, probably 30% actually even read the script. <laughs> so that means 70% didn't even read the script ever. Yeah. So you have to look at it from, you're dealing with numbers people when you're trying to raise the money for a movie. So it's not, you don't want to get too creative, like if, you know, for lack of a better term, you don't want to get too creative with all the looks and the things like that, because that's not the way you're going to close it. Yeah. How detailed do the numbers have to be, at least in the first discussion, perhaps? Yeah, that's a good question. There's not, well, there's a lot of answers there. Is that One of the things is that I don't include the budget in the pitch. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll say that it's going to be $500,000, let's just say, or a million dollars is the movie, but I don't put the budget there. And especially, I've seen business plans where they put the detailed budget in. You know, worst case, like if they really want to see it, I'd show them the top sheet. But the second you throw the detail, then they question literally everything. Wait a minute, you're paying the key grip this and that? You know what I mean? Like they question every single aspect of it. You're just opening up a can of worms. Yeah. And That's on the point. other side of the numbers, projections, I do stay away from as well. I'll usually say I have two things that come in Movie Plan Pro. One is a, a small chart that shows 
successful films in the similar genre, you know, and even that language there, it's saying we're only specifying successful ones in the similar genre. Yeah. I'll show and I'll get a, here's the budget of the movie. Here's the, what the movie made. And then I have another page that shows a hypothetical investment return. And really what it does is it's not a projection at all. And I'll say that to any investor, it just shows if there's money coming in, here's how it goes back to you. Here's how it flows back to you. And that is much more powerful than projections, which projections, I think, in many ways, if you're not a sales agent or distributor, you're just kind of making projections up based on other movies. Uh, comps almost it's that that could open you up to liability because it's like that's not you're not saying you know if you're putting on there that this one million dollar horror movie is going to make 30 million like whatever x horror movie did that's a mistake not a guarantee yeah of course yeah i I could show that x and y and z horror movie made this that and the other thing that's fine to show but when i get to the page of a hypothetical investment return i'll show a 30 to 70% return on that investment and show you, you know, conservative numbers and then even say to them, look, it can make less than this or it can make way more than this. There are movies that have made 4,000 times, you know, their budget, but this is exactly how, if there's money here is how it's coming back. And that's the extent of which I'll go as far as putting numbers in a business. Yeah. And will you include the various territories and deliverables or platforms like all the way from, you know, USA, the rest of the world? Well, look, I, I don't, and I'll say that I can do that because I own a sales company, you know, and I've worked with sales companies that I can partner with. So I know all those numbers, but as far as just a producer pitching a film, you can't do that. I've seen where they've said this and that, and this is what they'll get for the territory. And then I've I've kind of jokingly gone back and like, well, how do you, who, who gave you those numbers? It's just like, well, you know, I saw other, other projections that said this. It's like, and who says you're going to get on those platforms? (laughs) You know, do you have connection? Do you have a direct connection with those platforms? So they're just speculating at that point. So that's, that's a mistake. Again, you're, you're opening yourself up to being liable there. If you're putting in your business plan that you're going to be on all these platforms, obviously, besides Amazon, which you can directly go on, you know, and it's not going to make you any money anyway. But yeah. you put all these platforms and all these international territories. One, how the hell are you going to get to those territories if you're not a sales agent distributor? Two, how are you going to get those platforms if you're not a sales agent distributor? Like most of them are B2B platforms like Tubi. Tubi doesn't do deals with just people. You know what I mean? They, you have to have a company. Like my company has a direct deal with Tubi and the bigger companies have direct deals with Tubi. So you, you'd have to have Unless you had a sales agent involved, you can't speculate on where your movie's going to be and which territory it's going to sell in. Yeah, which which companies or areas are you looking at now as as sort of growth areas for in terms of revenue on on your projects? You mean uh, film genre wise? Uh, not necessarily film genre. Yeah, no, that might be another question. No, I was thinking more in terms of you know you've got your product. Um, as we said earlier, the landscape's changing, especially at the moment, you know, how are you going to pitch that to cinemas wouldn't happen. So you're looking at different ways, different streaming platforms, other kind, I mean, like Disney's now building up their sort of rival to Netflix. Are there, are there other, like Hulu and so on? That's kind of what, what I'm talking about in terms of distribution and sales. Yeah. You, are there, yeah. Well, that, that's the key, is that years ago, there, you would make less off of more. I mean, excuse me, you make more off of less. I'm sorry. Now you make less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You make more off of less, like meaning there'd be a DVD sale and you can get worldwide buyouts and you'd make an X amount of dollars. And so you'd make more off of less platforms. Now you got to make 
less off of more platforms. Now it's got to be on 30 different platforms. And, you know, there might be, might be on Sky in UK and it might be on, um, Hivio and MX player and all these international platforms. And then in the U S you might be on iTunes, Voodoo, Google play, Amazon TVOD to start. And then after a while, then you go to your S VODs and Amazon and, uh, and Hulu. And then after that, you go to your AVODs with Tubi and Pluto and even YouTube AVOD. And so that's that, that was not a thing years ago, but now it is. Now you got to kind of go all these different VOD platforms to make smaller bumps uh, on all of them. And um, though, do, do you think those numbers, when you add them all up, are more promising than five years ago? Or, or do you think it's a lot, a lot of extra work for the same result? I think it's more promising than five years ago because there's more platforms, but is it more promising than 15 years ago? No way. <laughs> like that was a much better, you know, but, and that was when you can, you had to make independent films for one to $8 million because you could get that back. You know, I, I, I have friends, I, I have a, I can think of a friend in my head that made millions by making the kind of C list movie you know christian slater movie that was like hey it was not that good but he could make it for three and sell it for six or seven or eight million dollars you can't do that nowadays you know yeah you have to have matthew mcconaughey in your three million dollar movie and so um it's so now yeah i would say it's better than it was five years ago when people were just trying to figure out the vod market and be like what the hell is going on with this because so now there's a lot more platforms and if you can spread it out more you can make more money but going back 15 years independent films were definitely stronger and had a bigger market you know it did that hole in the middle is the thing that's that's always expanding meaning it used to be indie films could be made for one million to say nine million dollars and then you had the studio films that were 60 million up and um that hole in the middle is getting is getting so now studio films have to be at least a hundred million up and the independent films i wouldn't make an indie film for over four million dollars unless i had monster cast you know and now you can make a movie an indie film for two hundred fifty thousand and have a legit movie so that what i'm getting is that hole in the middle of those 10 12 million dollar movies are really disappearing more and more so it's pushing the indies lower and it's pushing the big budgets higher and there's that gigantic space in the middle yeah yeah do you have a preferred genre or are you genre agnostic generally i'm genre agnostic i would say that you know i kind of alluded before to genres that sell because i see what genres sell and almost every buyer we ask them what genres are you looking for and they say action <laughs> that's the first word out of their mouth of all time because it yeah. just plays everywhere and um sci-fi is good horror is good if it has cast the problem with horror has been people always thought it was their lottery ticket and now there's so many harmony i mean there's got to be thousands made every year so there's so much you walk through afm and you just see horror posters everywhere so it's not anything unique anymore so you have to have a little bit of cast in there um family films are great and what i mean is that's a big umbrella there uh, vanilla-ish films. It could be a comedy that's family-friendly. It could be faith-based. It could be a drama that's family-friendly. Those, or it could be Christmas movies. The, those play very well. What doesn't play is genre, I mean, a drama-type, edgy movies, 
cursing, sex. Same with comedy. Everybody wants to make super bad, that edgy comedy. They're doing cocaine. They're doing all this stuff. Like all those, you're done internationally. Those are the hardest movies to sell. So edgy dramas or edgy comedies are very tough. Depressing dramas, all that, they'd all fall under there. So, and, and on top of all of that, no cast, you know, you can get away with action with no cast, but any of those other, and even family, you can get away with relatively no cast. But the second you're going to make a no cast drama, or a no-cast, edgy comedy, you're not going to ever make money from that movie. It's going to be very tough, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So, so what, what are, bringing it back to, to, to a more personal point, what, what are the films you're working on at the moment, pushing forward? Uh, that is um, not so much the, the production side, just the development side. I have three that I'm mainly focusing on, because we have maybe six or seven in development, but three, this one that I'm slated to do in April is a romantic comedy with some dancing in it. It's not really a dance film per se, but it's a dance, you know, people love to see dancing on the screen. And so it's that it's a fun kind of serendipity type comedy with some dancing. Uh, and then I have two other action films. One's a female vigilante action movie that has a graphic novel behind it. And the other is a really cool high school based action. movie. Okay, good. And, and the kinds of budgets, the dance film romantic comedy is a little under 500,000. The other two are three to four million each. Yeah. Two action. Cool. Action is obviously much different. And with these, with both of them, we can get international cast. We're trying to attach the big star, you know, the Nicolas Cage type star who does those level films and, uh, and brings the financing. Yeah. 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 And would you be filming those in the U S well, I'd be open to film outside Canada, potentially, um, one of the the high school one really has to take place in the U.S. Um, the vigilante one could really be anywhere. So I'm open to anything based on you know what what's the deal and what's the financing. Sometimes the investor says, "Well, I'd like you to shoot it here, or this or that. I want you to shoot it in Vancouver." Any of those things are just possible or up in the air. But uh, you just always have to look at it as what's the value you're getting for whatever locations you're sacrificing. Yeah, what's your experience been like with uh, co-pro deals? Favorable or not so much? Um, they're still around. I mean, we still talk to people at, at Cannes and things like that where they're looking for co for co-productions. There's just a lot of times that we've gone down the road with them, the restrictions or the kind of parameters have been very tough to fit into. You know, you have to look at it yeah. sometimes you're forcing that square peg in a round hole, it's just not gonna happen. So that's a potential issue there. Um yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thing. You just have to have a film that's flexible and open and fits into that mold. That's the best way to put it. If it fits, it fits. If it's not, you can't attach it be yourself to it. Yeah. And being an actor, <laughs> are you going to be in any of them? Well, I would love on the two action films to play a small supporting role. I know which roles I would want in both movies. Um, in the dance film, I'll take a more a bigger role one of the lead roles there's about i think there's four or five leads because i i have starred in a dance movie i did um love and dancing with amy smart i was the co-star and betty white and billy zane so i have that kind of i guess experience one i used to i used to teach ballroom dancing so that's one thing you know as so i have that. so this film, I will say that the dance film romantic comedy is going to be my first foray into directing. I've never directed before. And so this is going to be my directorial debut. So does that help or hinder that I'm going to be in it? 
we'll see, I guess. I, I, I really want to play. It's like I get so each of these hats are different that I wear. Uh, the producer mindset goes, well, if we can get a name person for the role that I want to play, well, then I'll step away and I'll play a smaller role. If we can't because of budget limitations, because we'll be going for big names for some of the other roles. Um, and if we've spent our budget on those, well, then I'm always there to bring my A game and nail the role and, and be in there. So that's how I'll say yeah. it. Sounds good. And of these three, have you written any of them? I wrote all three. I wrote all three. Wrote all three. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Do you mostly focus these days on, on your own material or do you sometimes still produce others? Well, I'll say that, uh, let's see how to, I, I would, I, I'm super open to other people's scripts. I never say, well, it's got to be come for me or anything like that at all. It's always super open to other people's scripts. It's just got to be the right script. It's just got to be the right project where I go, oh yeah, this is great. I'm I'm super happy about that. So writing is just like, I know my abilities. I know what I can bring. And um, these films just happen to fit with the investor that we're pitching that kind of initially developed them. They they fit at the time. I, does it have to be that way? No. It, if, if, the, the, if I get a pro, uh, script submitted that I really think is great. Well, then it's, it's doesn't, it, that's fantastic. It doesn't have to be me. And do you um, executive produce on other projects, you know, do, where you just have a slightly, or a more, slightly more remote role perhaps on, on certain projects? hundred percent. I did it last year. We got it in before COVID hit. I think it was done, done by January, February. Yeah. A movie called Lansky, which was Harvey Keitel, Sam Worthington, Minka Kelly. Uh, and so it was also produced. One of the, some of the other producers were the people who did uh, Hurt Locker and Dallas Buyers Club, and I was one of the APs on it. Like so, I'm an executive producer on that. And really, what I did is I brought some money, brought eight hundred thousand dollars through a connection to the movie, and so that was that was my role in that. So I'm happy to do that. If, if it, again, all most of the time, film wise, do the does the project happen? Does this happen? Always, it just has to fit. Timing is such a thing, and the situation. You know, if you said to me, Tom, I got this tennis movie and it's it's really great and i go oh fantastic but then tomorrow yeah. uh, some investor that i'm talking to goes i you know i really like to do like a sports type of movie like a, you know maybe tennis or something i go oh my god this is perfect so timing just has to work out and in the past when ivp timing just happened to work out yeah timing yeah it's <laughs> definitely a lot yeah. to do with it isn't it yeah of course yeah good and so how's your next uh, few weeks looking well, You're up in New York now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still, the Glass House Distribution, which is my sales and distribution company, is still growing, still trying to expand at all times. We have Berlin coming up, which is normally in February, but it's pushed to March 1st, I believe it starts this year. And then immediately right after, we go into Film Art. So we, we're always at these different markets, which are really trade shows. And now they're virtual, at least for the immediate future. So when we did AFM, we did 70 something Zooms in a week. Uh, uh -huh, yeah. Five days, basically, just, you know, back to back, like days that we had 18, 19 Zooms back to back that were all a half yeah. hour, literally yeah. in front of the computer for 10 hours straight Zooming. And um, so Berlin's coming up. Berlin will be hopefully successful for us. And then, so we were always acquiring movies, completed movies, and expanding on all of those and selling, always pitching buyers in, on movies. So that it's great that I can see that other side of it. So I know, like, when I make this romantic comedy dance movie i know where to sell it right away <laughs> you know i've already prepped some buyers for it and i know that i have that outlet yeah yeah final note um before we um sign off have you found the the remote way of 
working still productive? I do. I do find that it's productive. I think that a lot of times when you can Zoom video with somebody, as long as it's not some monster group, you know, and most of the time on these meetings, what I do is I have my colleague Rob, who doesn't live too far from me, comes to my house and sits in my office next to me. So we're one, it was initially to minimize the streams, you know, because we're doing talking to people in Poland and, and Austria and all these places around the world that one more stream of video always adds little hiccups and problems. So it's like if we can lessen the stream. So he would sit right next to me. So the most we would have is four people on there. And um, I think it, it feels like a meeting many times when you're looking at the person you're talking, you get visual cues. The joke was just recently I did a conference call and it had like six people on there and we were all stepping on each other. It was almost like we'd forgotten how to do a conference call. And I'm like, yeah. I need to see people. Like I need to see their, their cues and their faces and their reactions and things because it's very tough to know when to talk. So yeah, I yeah. found that, you know, we were joking about AFM. It was like all the business with none of the fun, <laughs> which that yeah, was yeah. The fun. I still felt that we could do the same amount of business. It's like buyer comes in, how you doing? How you doing with COVID? They ask how we're doing, how we're dealing with COVID. Then it's like, what genres you're looking for? Great. Here's the movies we have. And while when we were in the booth uh, or the hotel room, we would show them right there, the trailers on the big screen TV, or we'd pull out an iPad and give it to them and they'd watch the trailer on headphones. Instead of doing that, we just do it post meeting. So we say, okay, great. We have these four trailers we're going to send you. We'll send them right after. And immediately the meeting's over. We send those trailers and they go from there. Um, yeah. and so it's just, it's the same process that we've adapted to. And I gotta be honest, I don't mind it. I, I, I like it. <laughs> I know a lot of my colleagues are complaining. I don't, I don't have a problem. Yeah. Well, I suppose it gets around that whole question of having to be in LA physically, doesn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> everyone, even if you're in LA, it's not really going to be any different. Well, or LA or, or Berlin or, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. in Hong Kong. So, um, I, Normal. Think all that money you're saving yeah, <laughs> on right. hotels and planes and go through. You yeah, can it's like you we were planning can last year was the full team and the years before we've had maybe eighty percent or seventy percent of the team we were going to do full team in can which means everybody's flight everybody's apartment um, and so we all I mean and sometimes we'll share like the the year before we did the me uh my colleague rob my colleague david in the same three-bedroom apartment so we'll do we'll do all that so all the part all the food all the meals and then the booth costs with the booth alone is 10k euros you know so you're talking about a legit uh 40 dollars expenditure on the cheap side and so you're in that hole right when you start you know the market versus can this year was free <laughs> so it's like you're just sitting in front of the computer that's free so i do love that advantage we were dropping a lot of money per year on we had eight markets in the schedule and now it's relatively little to no money for the whole year you know if you're going to spend five grand on because some of them have little fees four hundred dollars here 120 dollars here you know to get on their online platform so it's not much money at all okay tom we'll leave it there uh thanks so much for being on the show really interesting comments about the uh, finance and distribution side of things definitely Good. great to talk to you yeah. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Great. Cheers. Cheers. Tom Malloy, before I go, just to ask you to subscribe to the podcast. And if you can spare a minute, please like or even comment on the takes you hear on One Good Take. 
Thanks very much. <laughs>